0: For politicians and activists, this week has been all about marking a strange kind of anniversary. The anniversary of Roe v. Wade, which is a Supreme Court precedent that no longer exists. In Washington, the March for Life went forward in the snow.
1: Let me ask you, will you march until abortion is unthinkable? Let me hear you say yes!
0: A day later... Abortion rights supporters flooded Freedom Plaza just down the street.
1: Absolutely not. These rights are necessary and they're needed for survival. We will come out in any weather.
0: And on Monday, 51 years to the day since the Supreme Court ruled on Roe.
1: It is my honor to introduce a longtime champion in the fight for reproductive rights.
0: The White House weighed in.
1: Please, let's get a big Wisconsin welcome And join me in welcoming our Vice President, Kamala Harris.
0: (laughs) VP Kamala Harris flew all the way to Milwaukee to rally supporters. She took the stage just as Republicans in the Wisconsin state legislature considered testimony on a proposed 14-week abortion ban.
1: In America, freedom is not to be given it is not to be bestowed it is ours by right by right and that includes the freedom to make decisions about one's own body not the government telling you what to do she seems
0: really strong to me like when i watched like i was like oh she's like in full voice here
1: Oh, definitely. I think it's an issue she personally feels very passionate about. The 19th's Grace Panetta
0: has been following all of these events, one by one.
1: You know, she was raised by a cancer researcher, has a history as a prosecutor, and so it's something that she does personally feel strongly about and I think is able to speak to politically in a pretty effective way.
0: Democrats, of course, are looking to talk about abortion a lot these days. As President Biden gears up for a nail-biter of an election fight with Donald Trump— Abortion is one of the few issues that his advisers feel confident is a winner for them. In fact, this week was just the beginning of a frenzy of events they're going to be hosting all around the country. And Joe Biden himself, he also spoke on Monday. But his comments were not at a rally. They were in the state dining room at the White House.
1: Well, good afternoon, folks.
0: Doctor, he was just giving an introduction, really, sure for a reproductive health task force.
1: I believe Roe v. Wade was right. I'm not supporting we didn't. They didn't support abortion on demand. It was Roe v. Wade. Roe v. Wade was the decision. He was
0: so much less energized than Kamala Harris. He was even throwing in anti-abortion talking points, like almost riffing, like saying, I don't support abortion on demand, which just seems like, weird thing to slip in there when you're talking about supporting abortion rights.
1: Yeah, it it is true. And I think it does kind of speak to the fact that while Biden is now coming out in full force favor of abortion rights, mostly for most of his career, he was either opposed to abortion or kind of saying, oh, well, I don't personally support it, but I don't think it should be at the government's place. And when you hear like phrases like that slip out, like abortion on demand sounds pretty antiquated. It sounds like something you would hear in the 1990s. It does kind of still point to his difficulties with this issue over his long political career.
0: President Biden's long history here has a lot of Democrats now asking whether he can truly make the case that abortion is a reason to vote for him come November. Real talk, is it weird to you that the White House is commemorating the anniversary of a Supreme Court ruling that's been overturned? Yeah. (laughs) Like, when I I was looking at this schedule, I was like, it almost seems willfully nostalgic.
1: Yeah. And and to that point, it's interesting when, you know, you talk to activists and people who are really in the reproductive rights space, they say Roe was not enough. But then with the Biden's campaign messaging, that's kind of what they're saying is we need to restore Roe. It was in huge letters and the backdrop at this rally on Tuesday from the White House's perspective, they seem to think that the most effective messaging is saying, let's go back.
0: Today on the show, abortion is gonna be at the heart of Joe Biden's 2024 campaign. Is he gonna be able to convince Americans he can move the country forward? I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next? Stick around. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Before we get into how abortion is going to factor into the 2024 race, I want to talk about how challenged Joe Biden is in particular when it comes to talking about abortion. Like we all know Joe Biden's Catholic. And I think a lot of my listeners will be familiar that he's had this evolution in his thinking when it comes to abortion. But I wonder if we can get specific. Like when he first came to the Senate as a 30-something What did he have to say about abortion?
1: Yeah, so when he arrived at the U.S. Capitol in the 1970s, he kind of gave what has become an infamous quote to a reporter where he said, well, I don't think that it should just be the woman's choice what happens to her body. Um, And I think that's something he really regretted later on and definitely shaped his, his way of dealing with the press, um, but it is true that for much of the 1980s, he was voting against provisions, you know, that would allow federal funding for abortions. He definitely, and this is kind of the the view of his party at that time in the 80s and 90s, the government, the taxpayers, shouldn't be paying for it. And he was, you know, said he opposed it.
0: Can we just go one by one through these kind of turning point moments for Biden? Like in 1981, we have Ronald Reagan in office and congressional conservatives push for this constitutional amendment that would have permitted states to overturn Roe v. Wade. Joe Biden weighs in in favor of that and didn't go anywhere. But still, that's kind of a big deal.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think it, it reflected both his views at the time and his politics. I think, you know, he definitely he had made various comments in the 80s and 70s saying, you know, I believe that life begins at conception and that was the view of some other Democrats, but he kind of stuck out among East Coast, Northeastern Democrats for voting in favor of that and for his views on abortion. He was much more in line with the Southern conservatives of that time.
0: And while with that piece of legislation, he he changed his mind pretty quickly, like within a year, there are other things that he really sort of dug down in. Like if we think about the Hyde Amendment, which is... Um, a piece of legislation that bans federal funding for abortion, Joe Biden supported it for a long time, right?
1: Yes, he did. He supported it for decades, starting in the 1970s and only changed his stance under pressure from abortion rights groups, sort of in the middle of the 2020 Democratic presidential primary, because he kind of stuck out among the field. And at that time, the Democratic Party platform had already said, we support repealing the Hyde Amendment. His opponents all supported repealing the Hyde Amendment. And so he was kind of out on a limb there. And that is where he kind of had to divorce with his years, decades long stance against federal funding for abortions. And that was a pretty significant moment that I think did earn him some more trust and goodwill from abortion rights groups.
0: But even at the time, he said, I make no apologies for my last position and I make no apologies for what I'm about to say, which doesn't sound like he's actually changing his mind It just sounds like he is recognizing that the political winds have shifted.
1: Yeah, that's a super fair point. And this is the case both with him and for someone who's Going to be in elected office in public office for 50 years as he has, it's always a question of whether how much of this is your actual changing in position in your own evolution, just based on being alive, and how much is for political expediency. And in him, with him, I think it's a case of both. Yeah, he was definitely acknowledging that he was out of step with his party and he needed to get on board, kind of even if he still privately disagreed.
0: So in 2022, when Roe v. Wade gets overturned. Did you as a reporter feel like you could see Biden's history of discomfort around abortion in how he responded? Or did advocates feel like that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think at the beginning when the decision, you know, first came down, there was so much confusion, so much chaos. And I think it was a sense of, can we trust the president in this moment to really step up and do everything he can? And I think... Biden was at least you know, saying he disagreed with the decision and was going to do everything in his power to restore those protections. And he kind of summed it up in his remarks at a fundraiser in 2023 when he said, look, I'm Catholic, not big on abortion, but Roe v. Wade got it right.
0: You mentioned how the executive branch is kind of limited in terms of what it can do in response to Roe v. Wade being overturned. But this week, as part of the administration's commemoration of the 51st anniversary of Roe v. Wade, the White House did announce new initiatives to sort of shore up reproductive rights. What are those?
1: Yeah, I would describe them as kind of an extension of what they've already been doing. And it really falls into three buckets. The first is on contraception and access to birth control, which is an area the White House has been focused on. And they announced this week kind of new ways that they're trying to ensure that private insurance is covering contraception as they're obligated to do under the Affordable Care Act. The next is more and more pharmacies are now distributing abortion medication. The White House announced new actions to make sure that those pharmacies and pharmacists are Safe, um, physically, and protected from any threats they might be receiving. Hold. What does that mean? Does that mean like guns, guards? No. I think it <laughs> means they're they're telling DHS to like form a task force. That's hey pharmacies. Let's look at them. Um, and the third one, which I think is the most interesting, is on federal regulation known as MTALA.
0: Can you just explain what MTALA is? What does it stand for?
1: Absolutely. So MTALA stands for the Emergency Medical Treatment and Labor Act. And the initial, the intent of the law as written and implemented is to make sure that emergency rooms don't turn away people for being poor or uninsured, right? That they have a, a duty to provide emergency care to anyone, regardless of their financial status. So it's not a law that was intended to apply to abortion miscarriage care necessarily, but it's become more relevant in that context with state abortion bans.
0: So the idea is if a woman appears in your emergency department and her pregnancy is failing, you have the duty to help her.
1: Yes, that's what the Biden administration is arguing.
0: I'm sort of curious, is the White House doing everything they can to enforce a rule like MTALA? Because I look at someone like Kate Cox in Texas who had a failing pregnancy, could not get doctors there to treat her, eventually left the state. She actually sued while she was in medical crisis. So I'm sort of curious, like now does the federal government come in and start punishing the hospitals that refuse to treat her?
1: Well, it's it's interesting you bring that up. There was a really good story in the Washington Post on this very topic um, a few days ago by Caroline Kitchener and Dan Diamond about a case in Oklahoma, which has a strict abortion ban. There was a woman who was turned away, who was having life-threatening pregnancy complications, she said, and she filed a complaint against the hospital and it was rejected. It was turned down.
0: A complaint with the federal government?
1: Yeah, yeah. Huh. It's... It's hard um, because this regulation was not initially drafted with abortion with the situation um, in mind. And it's also pretty narrowly written law. But at the same time, there are a lot of people who argue, hey, the Biden administration should be more aggressively going after hospitals and they should be publicizing other cases where they found violations and have gotten hospitals in line to comply.
0: So it seems to me like what the Biden administration can do here is genuinely limited. But also there are some questions that about whether they're doing everything they can.
1: Yeah, and I think it stems from the fact that we really are in such a new unprecedented phase of the current state of reproductive rights around the country with more and more states passing abortion bans. And we're learning about the consequences of those bans in real time. And in many cases, the regulations aren't keeping up with the new reality on the ground. After the break,
0: will Biden be able to convince voters that he can change the reality on the ground? So let's talk about how all of Biden's background and history thus far plays into the messaging that's about to be happening in the 2024 race. I think it's become accepted wisdom that abortion is a winning issue for Democrats at this point in time. But I wonder if you can just quantify how winning of an issue
1: it is. How do we see
0: abortion reshaping the electoral landscape?
1: Um, I think there are a couple different ways of looking at it. I think in terms of trying to quantify how much of a winning issue it is, uh, we know, you know, polling on abortion is kind of difficult. There are a lot of nuances, but at the same time, we do know that total abortion bans are not at all popular. And furthermore, I think a takeaway from the elections in 2023 were that voters don't like any kind of abortion restrictions, any kind of weak limit. In Kentucky, when you had the Republican AG running for governor. He, for most of the campaign, defended the state's abortion ban that has no exceptions for rape or incest and then tried to backtrack on his stance. And he lost to the incumbent Democratic governor. In Virginia, the Republican governor had pitched a 15-week ban as a compromise and tried to say it wasn't actually a ban. And voters voted for Democrats and Democrats now control both chambers of the legislature.
0: And the funny thing was, in Virginia, my understanding is that it wasn't like abortion was on the ballot. Correct. It wasn't like here, pass this constitutional amendment about abortion. You are voting on abortion. It was more the governor has made this promise that if I have the support, I will pass this 15-week ban. And so it required voters to kind of do some uh, math in their heads and be like, yeah. okay, I don't want that, so I'm going to vote for this, and you know that X Y Z. You know that's how it all, it's all going to turn out. Which I think actually kind of makes it a more interesting state to look at.
1: Yeah. Republicans have really struggled with the issue of abortion. A lot have tried to talk about it as little as possible. The governor in this case said, no, we're going to embrace this plan.
0: The only bill that we would progress, that's to protect life at 15 weeks, and to call it a ban is such a mischief. And
1: kind of got rejected by by the voters. Even in a state where abortion is not currently banned, it's still accessible. And I think that just deepens Republicans' messaging problems on this issue and gives some hope to Democrats that it can still be mobilizing even in states where the procedure is protected for now.
0: One of the places President Biden and Kamala Harris went this week was Virginia. So can you just explain like the thinking there? Were they there to just basically say like, hey, abortion was a big deal here. Let's make it a big deal nationally, too.
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly it. I think it was kind of a victory lap in a sense of, you know, this is a winning issue here in the state when a lot of people doubted it and said that it wouldn't be as powerful because Virginia's become a little bit more Democratic leaning. Um, But yeah, it was kind of articulating this big national message that they want to get out there.
0: You were at this event in Virginia, right?
1: Yes. Yes, I was.
0: What did it sound like to hear Joe Biden and Kamala Harris make their pitch in person?
1: They definitely had a ton of energy. They've really, I think, fine tuned their messages on this. And it was both the second gentleman um, and the first lady who spoke first. And it was really a consistent theme of highlighting the real life consequences of abortion bans. And so I think a great encapsulation of that is Biden was introduced by Amanda Zarowski, who was a woman in Texas, who is now become the lead plaintiff in a lawsuit um, with her and other women who say that they were denied life-saving care with pregnancy complications because of the state's abortion ban. Over and over again, Donald Trump brags about killing Roe v. Wade. What's more? He said that there should be some form of punishment for women who get abortions. Women like me. That's why we need to re-elect President Biden and Vice President Harris. And I think that they were both really able to clarify and say, you know, Republicans did this. They're responsible for it. Don't let them try to evade accountability.
0: You know, reporting I saw from this event in Virginia, it highlighted the fact that Joe Biden got interrupted something like 14 times. Oh, yeah. (laughs) By ceasefire (laughs) activists. Yeah. And to me, it it highlighted... This issue Biden may have moving forward, which is Biden might want to talk about abortion. Voters might want to talk about something else. And Biden actually directly controls the ceasefire situation, sort of, in a way he doesn't directly control abortion stuff because that has gone to the states.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's a good point. And actually, you know, there was a Biden campaign officials did a press call with reporters on Wednesday morning after the rally where all the interruptions by protesters did come up and were asked. And their response was essentially, you know, we're trying to draw the contrast to Trump and we allow for peaceful protest and Trump does not. um, And Biden's a unifier and Trump's a divider. So it's still kind of trying to make it about Donald Trump. Will that be satisfactory to people? Unclear.
0: Yeah, I was struck by the fact that Biden, as he spoke in Virginia, he seemed to acknowledge how limited he was. Like he said, basically, give me a Democratic House of Representatives, give me a bigger Democratic Senate so I can really protect abortion rights because I will do that right away. But like uh, one man can't do this in the White House.
1: Yeah, and and that, that highlights, a, you know, the tough challenge for Biden is that abortion is a highly mobilizing issue for Democratic voters and a lot of independent voters. And yet he doesn't have a policy achievement to point to on that. And his campaign also hasn't offered a lot of specifics beyond this just message of restoring Roe, putting Roe back as the law of the land. And they haven't really gone further with them. Here are all the other things that we would do to actually ensure, right, to access and not just the baseline level of rights. So it's it's all very interesting.
0: One thing I wonder about strategically is whether Joe Biden and his administration are actively boosting efforts in the states to get abortion on the ballot in 2024. And I ask that because. Clearly, statewide ballot initiatives to protect abortion rights have driven voter turnout, have been very successful. And a voter who votes to protect abortion rights would probably vote for Biden. So it's like there may be a happy downstream effect for his campaign. But it's not an obvious thing to do. You know, it's not about Joe Biden. It's about the issue itself and hoping that that helps Joe Biden down the line.
1: Yeah, it is really interesting with ballot measures, um, because in, in a lot of cases, there are organizers and people in Democratic Party who say, yes, we want to get these measures on the ballot explicitly to boost Democratic turnout, like in New York and Arizona and Colorado. At the same time. Ballot measures, to be successful, they really have to be organic and from the ground up. The measures that we've seen pass in states so far, like Michigan and Ohio, won not because of a top-down effort by the Democratic Party, but because of a bottom-up grassroots effort that needed to be separated from partisanship. The measures that have succeeded so far, like in Ohio, did so with a lot of votes from Republicans and independents who maybe would not otherwise support Biden on the ballot.
0: I know you're a reporter, but if you were advising the White House on this issue... What do you tell them to do more of or differently?
1: Yeah, you know, it's I I would say one thing. And, you know, this is just my own journalistic curiosity is what more do you want to do beyond just restoring Roe? Want to make sure people actually have access. How do you want to draft policy and laws to make sure this doesn't keep happening to women who are denied emergency abortion care? Like what just beyond restoring Roe, even if it's not as expansive as some activists would like, you know, I just kind of want to hear more specifics on what they do want to do.
0: Yeah. I mean, you're not going to say this because (laughs) you're a reporter, but I'm curious your response to it. You know, Slate had an article recently. The headline was Biden is whiffing it on the most important issue for Democrats. Do you think that's a fair headline?
1: Ooh. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Again, everyone has a different opinion. I would not say whiffing necessarily. Um, I think you know, especially given his long-standing, decades-long evolution on this issue, he really is hitting a lot of the notes of what's proven to be popular and that people want to hear. Um, in terms of restoring rights. Highlighting the consequences of abortion bans. But I think there's definitely lots of reasonable arguments you can make that he could do more in his rhetoric or on the campaign trail.
0: Yes, I think you're saying you have to get out your Joe Biden yardstick to measure the whiffingness (laughs) where it's like you have to remember where Joe Biden began and where he is now.
1: Right. Yeah, I think that is some important context, and you know how far the Democratic Party has evolved. Um, it was interesting. the The White House convened a small group of us reporters um, a few days ago at the White House, and a senior advisor made the point that back. 10, 15, 20 years ago, basically almost no Democrats were saying the word abortion um, in public and really making the case that it was under threat. And there's just been a huge evolution in that time. And I think Biden sort of encapsulates that in his own way.
0: Grace, I'm really grateful for your time. Thanks for coming on the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Grace Panetta is a political reporter at the 19th News. And that's our show. What Next is produced by Paige Osborne, Elena Schwartz, Rob Gunther, Madeline Ducharme, and Anna Phillips. We are led by Alicia Montgomery with a little boost from Susan Matthews. Ben Richmond is the Senior Director of Podcast Operations here at Slate. And I'm Mary Harris. Thanks for listening. Catch you back here next time.